On this episode of Of Mechs and Men, a centurion and a trebuchet walk into an ambush, and a microphone in Vinny's bedroom provokes an attack by ninjas from the moon. Hello, this is Of Mechs and Men, a Battletech book club. I am Kanan Hill, joined, as usual, by my two good friends, Brent. Me, Brent. And Aaron. It's me, Aaron. How we doing, boys? Well, I've managed to keep all of my blood on the inside, so I'm doing great. Excellent. Well, that's good, because you'll stay conscious for when we cover <laughs> chapters 19 through 24. In the book we've been following along with for these last couple episodes. Mercenary Star by William H. Keith Jr. Uh, yes, please, let's begin. Let's get into it. Chapter 19. So we open with Kevlavik back in Nagamo's office. This is the day after the rebels retreated, you know, it's the whole thing. The Warhammer blows up, Thorvald is killed, the terrible plan goes horribly wrong, Grayson barely makes it out. But again, they still did get away, right? Which has been the problem all along. Our last part ended with Grayson getting away. So yeah, Naguma once again berating a Kevlavik for his incompetency in letting them get away. And they inflicted a decent amount of damage to him too. Yeah, they did good. He gives a damage report. They lost six mechs and severely damaged 10 more, including two marauders. I'm sorry, Brent. I know. We're sorry for your loss. It must hurt you. It's... Yeah. You know, they're going to pull through. They're going to be okay. You know, they got them up in the gantries right now. It's good to hear. You know, you'll be able to talk to them. (laughs) (laughs) During visiting hours. So now the tech crew has thousands of hours of work. Yeah, and Nagumo is mad once again because it seems that they had them trapped but let them slip away. You see here, though, it is the writer illustrates Nagumo, you know, because he's such a manipulative genius. He can work people so well. And he even thinks to himself, he's intentionally deciding, he's like, I'm going to push hard on Kevlavik here. I'm going to try to make this dude snap off on me, right? He's like, I'm really going to hit him. He calls him a coward. Kev's just like, I am not the coward, nor are my men. Then defend yourself. He's really pushing on him. About like, what happened here? Somebody's got to answer for it, dude. He's intentionally trying to make him snap. There's a funny line here I just wanted to point out where uh, Kavlavik is like, we didn't expect the second line of rebel mechs, my lord. They attacked my right flank from the rear after we'd already engaged the first rebel group. Yeah. And and Nagumo's like, you didn't expect it? Since when does the enemy do what's expected of him? And yeah. They attacked us from behind. I totally agree with this. This is a very, this is like like not a crazy tactic. Holding like a small group in reserve to come in and flank, or in this case, counter flank. This is like kind of some day one stuff. So I did think that was very funny. That's true. This is standard operating procedure. They're always talking about holding mechs on flanks in these books. Like yeah. holding, yeah, that's true. <laughs> he defended Kevlavik. Remember that last time, but uh, here he's like, no, we got to we gotta ding him on this one. Nagumo's right. 
Yeah, sorry. And uh, yeah, he pushes on him. Nagumo asks him, he's like, well, what'd the rebels lose? The rebel force lost four logger mechs, three light aggro mechs, seven medium hovercraft, various supply and troop carriers, one heavy battle mech, the Warhammer. They have 38 confirmed kills, 12 wounded prisoners, and uh, they did substantial damage to the retreating force. So that's pretty good. I mean, not nearly as much tonnage as the Kyrians lost in this one. That's true. No, it's nowhere near as much, but it's still, admittedly, you've got to think, it's magnified when it's the rebels getting hit, right? Anytime the rebels get hit, it's going to be like a 10 times modifier on it, you know? Because they're working out of these like jury-rigged gantries in this cave in the woods. They don't have the supply lines. While this isn't a lot, it still is more than they really wanted to lose, but they made out all right. And during this, I like how Keith set up Nugumo's response to this. Because, I mean, like, we've had the dressing down with Kavlovic multiple times in this book so far. And we're going to have it again, too. <laughs> yes. Very soon. But Nugumo's been kind of set up as this kind of no-tolerance policy type guy. And it's like, this is your final chance. And now we're in, like, double final chance and maybe triple final chance. But I like how that's kind of explained here as, like, he's given him the dressing down. But Nugumo knew that Duke Recall would hold the governor general completely responsible for all of this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. So it's, like, it's a good little hint at, like, oh, well, why are we giving more second chances other than we could probably get a cool fight scene later? It's some cover your ass tactic here even though it's not going to be very effective with it it's really a big blame shift shit rolls downhill but also i would argue it's a little psychology right Mm -hmm. you know he probably wasn't going to shoot this guy if he failed on this one unless it was he did an extremely poor job but in this case it's just motivation that's what it like really yeah. seems like. <laughs> and I don't think he has anyone any better. Kevlovic's probably his best mech warrior. Well, that's not true, and we find that out. But they're being held in reserve for special operations. There's also a statement in here right after that that I think kind of sums up this whole episode we're going to do. Because you don't hear it just once. But Nagumo says, the rebel showed unexpected tactical brilliance. And... <laughs> I I ended up highlighting that when we were reading it, because I was like, man, we have been dogging on a certain person for uh, as many episodes as we have done now. For over two months worth of time, we've been dogging on Grayson's ideas. And this section, we get unexpectedly tactical, brilliant moments. I mean, Grayson Death Carlisle is unexpected tactical brilliance, the man. <laughs> right, that's like <laughs> that's his whole oh brand. God. Yeah, it's like, you know, Grey Death <laughs> Legion. And then you have the like subtext underneath of it on the ship, unexpectedly <laughs> tactically brilliant. And so I just, I, it just, it just tickled me real well yes. when I first read it. So. Absolutely. This is what I was talking about in that very first episode about Mercenary Star, which is, all of these guys, all of these Caritans, they've been dealing with the rebels. And the rebels have been doing a great job. But the reality is, is that they have minimal training. A lot of them, a lot of the people at the, from the top down are politicians. Like we just saw with Thorvald, he was a politician playing soldier. And I'm not saying that, that someone couldn't flex, someone couldn't learn to do that both jobs, right? That's that's totally something that we've seen throughout history. However, he was learning on the fly. And we saw in this attack, he was just like, what if we just attacked a static fortress 
and we just pushed mechs in front of it and attacked it. And it didn't work out well for him. And this is, but these are the tactics that Nugumu and these other Koreans have been used to. And so while it's easy for us to roll our eyes and go like, oh yes, the tactical brilliance of Grace and Carlisle, it's just, I, I really like to think of it as they haven't been dealing with professional soldiers and now they are. And it is throwing them for a loop. They've been a little bit more relaxed because almost every engagement they've been in, they've probably had the upper hand. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Brent, I agree that, you know, it's something where it's like, you know, a new spice has been thrown in this recipe, but they're not adapting tactic. Exactly. And that's where we're seeing that thing. We've talked about this whole, the whole time we've been talking about mercenary stars, like that's Grayson's bread and butter is like when the bureaucracy gets in the way of the war. Grayson can squirm. <laughs> yeah, like this guy? You seen this hair? <laughs> <laughs> that flowing blonde hair. <laughs> so, Nagumo tells Kevlavik, you have two local tents. That's four standard weeks. I love when Keith uses, he tried so hard to, to really like use interesting uh, times for the different planets and stuff. Yeah, two local tents, four standard weeks. Ducasid Recall will be arriving soon. And uh, if this isn't cleaned up by then, uh, they'll both be going down together. You know, that's when he's like, like you said, hey, buddy, you know, uh, it's my head on the chopping yep. block here. So I'll see to it that I will not fall alone. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Kavlovic's like, well, I definitely won't mess up a third time. <laughs> <laughs> Record scratch. Yeah. You might wonder how I ended yeah. up here. <laughs> yeah. um. how, how does Kavlovic get back in this office? Also, you heard it here first. Red's coming back in town. We're going to see a lot of round red man (laughs) coming soon. (laughs) The red duke. There was also a very small line in here that I I just happened to comment on the first time we were talking about Nagumo. And I just thought it was funny that it got put in there where I talked about Nagumo has like the most like hands behind his back energy. And then <laughs> yeah. at the very end of it, he's standing, like staring out the window again. Yeah. And then hands clasped behind his back. I was like, <laughs> okay, me and Keith are on the same page here. I got exactly what he wanted me to have out of that. Yeah, dude. After he's done dressing down Kevlavik, he sends out a message, kind of wrapping up this little section for the cut and says, give me a company A of my personal guards. I want to talk to Captain Mills. This time, nothing will be left to chance. And when I read that, I took a note of it because we had seen Mills' name before. Talked about him in the previous episode when we were interrogating Sue Ellen. Yeah. He's one of yours, of course. So I was like, oh, you know, we're seeing Vincent Mills' name come back up. Vince Mills. I didn't put that together. That's interesting. So we, we were wondering who he was. Yeah. Yeah, he's a stud, you know? All the ladies love Vince. (laughs) <laughs> oh, we'll find out how studly he is soon. <laughs> he literally <laughs> Big is. Big Vinny, they call him. <laughs> Everyone loves Vinny. After Nagumo's office scene, we cut back to Fox Island, where uh, the gang is arriving just as dawn breaks. The damaged mechs, the Grayson and the boys coming back from the battle. I like, we learn here that they had, they had to leave two mechs back in the woods because they couldn't make it. A stinger and a dervish. I think they, they just like throw tarps over them or whatever to keep them from being spotted by satellite. But they're just like, yeah, they're too, they were too messed up to make it. We just had to leave them. So not even all the mechs made it back. But everyone's shuffling in. Multiple wounded. The med staff gets in the weeds like immediately, right? They're immediately overwhelmed trying to handle all the wounded. Grayson pulls up, pops the hatch. He's climbing down. The rebel council once again waiting for him at the bottom. 
along with Toll and Bersedwick. And they immediately begin bickering amongst themselves, right? About whose fault this is, who did, uh, you know, there's, uh, we got a whole scene here. There's this long dialogue where they're just processing this catastrophe and everyone's pointing fingers. I like this part. I feel like it goes as well as it really can, honestly. All the questions that need to be answered from everyone gets answered. Like, except for, I did expect Grayson to go off here about his father, and he alludes back to it kind of for some reader that would be coming in now into this book, but he doesn't address that to the group. But other than that, like, I feel like everyone actually gets what they need out of this conversation. Yeah. Well, and I read it with the same thought that you had there, Brent, where it's like, why? Because they are grilling him. I mean, the biggest question is like, why are you going to stay with us? We can't trust you to be here with us because it's obviously a losing fight. All you have to do is swap over to the Curetans and like, you know, everything about us. Like we are done if this happens and he's <laughs> assuring them. And, uh, you know, you're like, they're basically saying, well, what reason could you possibly have to fight the combine? And that first thought of like, Oh yeah, throw your dad into the mix. But then it, you know, thinking about it after I cleared the section, it's like, Oh, you know, it's probably a really good thing. He didn't mention it, that he wasn't like emotionally running at them for vengeance the whole way through that's like, oh, we don't care about Berthandi. We don't care about this war. All we care yeah. about is just killing as many Curetans as possible for my blood feud, which means all of you are going to die in my wake. So I feel like by keeping it very neutral and really Grayson just sitting through a dressing down and answering the questions of basically saying like, well, I'm here. I'm willing to do this for you. And if I go over there, I'll probably get killed myself. So... Really, your best bet is to trust me on this. And if you don't, you're in a much worse place. This is definitely a recurring theme of these. They don't believe that this mercenary company could have, like, could be virtuous in any way, right? They assume that they are just in it for just the money alone, right? It's a, this, they, this comes up. It'll, it'll come, it's come up before. It'll come up again. Every time Grayson seems like a decent guy, they're all like, I don't get it. You know, I don't, I don't, I, I don't understand. It gets addressed because he's a mercenary, but I also think there's something else at play, which is most of these people, if it wasn't for what was going on, they wouldn't be fighting. And so they're fighting because they have to. And so I think that they're also inherently inquisitive of someone who is just willing to fight for what appears to be no reason. We see going forward that this does become a little personal this does kind of turn it the fear that the locals have in my opinion comes to fruition here this does becomes grayson's war and i think we see the beginning of that here but it's a net positive for the vedandians that grayson's going to do this yeah yeah because otherwise as we were saying earlier they've got <laughs> nothing i mean they've lost the person who was doing their field tactics and all of that you know they've got a couple battle mechs and no one with any know-how to run them so you know it's like well what are they gonna do nothing 
I think this is earlier when you talked to when he when he when he brings yeah. up his father. It's when they're like they're all bickering and they're like, "Why wouldn't you go? Like you don't have a reason to hate the combine like we do." And there's just we get a Grayson moment where he like completely dissociates, like no reason to hate the combine. <laughs> and you just it's get funny. the flashback of like him back on Trail One and like his father. It, there's this whole moment where he just goes like glassy eyed and just kind of stares off into the middle distance while they're all like arguing. I love this. <laughs> Credit to Grayson, he maintains the professionalism and he keeps that card in his pocket. And Aaron, you've kind of convinced me on the other hand, I think you're right. I think that what he did actually is the right thing, keeping that to himself. It would have gotten him out of jail for free, but it does. You're right. I think it actually, it short term would have helped him, but long term, I don't know. Well, I, I think we'd see the implications of that further on in this episode that we're recording here, where people start asking those questions. And if it did have a little bit more power against him saying, you know, this is a personal vendetta, then the building blocks he does try to build up that we'll talk about here soon would kind of crumble underneath of him. Yeah, I'm turned around on that. I agree. <laughs> So yeah, they have a little thing. It basically ends Grayson's like, look, guys, it's going to take, we got to rebuild, but give me the support. What choice do you got? I'm your guy. And they're like, okay, he's the guy. And then like Ramaj walks up, right? We get a little chit chat between Ramaj and Grayson. Ramaj is like, so uh, how'd they go? And he's like, ah, they're worried we're going to sell out. And then Ramaj is like, I heard Thorval <laughs> bolted. <laughs> and then Grayson's like, he's dead. He was a brave man. And Ramaj is like, the man was a fool. And then the techs come like walking up and they're just like shaking their head. And Grayson looks over. He's like, I already know what they're going to say. They're going to say that everything is like trashed. He just looks at Ramaj. We're going to have to start over from the beginning. I don't know why this whole like little string from Ramaj coming over to him, like the whole transition to him, to the meeting with the rest of his crew the way Keith wrote all this, I I saw it all plain as day. I felt like he had a really good flow. Yeah. Uh, just a side note. It's very cinematic. Yeah. It's just, you throw homage in anything and it's merely, it's, uh, you're like, this is a good scene. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, I feel like it's a good moment that Keith takes to really kind of sink in where we're at with it to set in a kind of an emotional tone not that it's like heart-wrenching or anything like that but it's more of just like a like what do we do from here because we've we've been given one of our favorite key mechanics now is a time frame you know we've got four weeks till recall gets here we've got the rebel forces in complete disarray at this point the single voice in there that's trying to push forward is grayson and then after that meeting you have grayson just kind of like kicking rocks till Ramage comes up and you know he looks over and he's like i don't know what the hell to do here like I i've just got to completely like yeah. wipe everything yeah. that's happened off the board and i just have to start over yeah. like i gotta fight a brand new war now and i thought yeah. that was just a really good like little palate cleanse of where we're going into this transition to the new book or new part, yeah. <laughs> even though we are forced to use that term book. He's right. This isn't absolutely yeah. a, like a, a true like delineation point. Like this is a, he's right. It's time. It's a, yeah, they lost the old war. We got to start a new one. 
it's almost a little like Keith is just like, here's the second act now. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> but, but yes. Uh, like a, like a, a white transition <laughs> yeah. here. But I think that works because you get this little bit of a scene to start. Like this chapter is the transition this chapter is... because as soon as we get into these next couple chapters – the the storytelling yes. changes a little bit. The time frame, it stops being so micro and going into a little bit more macro into what's happening each step along the way. So we're we're going from days to now a weekly time scheme. And I think that's very interesting that we have that ability to stop and breathe here. You're right. It does kind of pull back. There's lots of like, here's a thing here and here's this happening here and here's the effect of this. But it... it it's very like Hogan's Heroes, if you remember that show. It was, <laughs> it's even a little old for me. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it is. So, we do a time skip to a staff meeting. Firelight by the cavern mouth. Everyone is tired. But we got the game together. We got to talk about where we're going now. You know, he's right. This is a new war. How are we going to fight it? What do we do? Clay, Delmar Clay, of course, immediately... uh who asks if we should keep helping these mouthing pongos. He says, mouthing pongos. <laughs> and, uh, I love that. That's a new one for you, Aaron. You're, you're collecting like weird, like keep. <laughs> I, I can't show the listeners. They absolutely have it highlighted in here. I read it. And I was like, I got to highlight mouthing pongos. I'm going to call Beautiful. you guys mouthing pongos from time to time. I love that. That's Aaron speak if I've ever heard it. But yeah, we, we, but Grayson's like, I mean, yeah, dude. Yes, we have to keep helping the pongos because we got to fight. Yeah. We got to do it. And then there, and there's a moment where everyone's like, we don't, I mean, we don't have to. And then great, there's the moment where Grayson's like, oh, wait, if everyone resigns, then I'll have to do it myself. <laughs> <laughs> I have something to say about this because because I think we get a remember folks we said we were going to get some glimpses into old Grayson as we go forward and in my opinion this is one of them he comes around slowly he works his way through it out of his Graysonness but like <laughs> it opens with him and I would argue the word is fantasizing about having to do it alone (laughs) and kind of just like it's, I hear like the, like the like military drums, you know? And he's like, like, like standing like in his uniform, like, and he's like, and I'm going to teach those guys like there's no tomorrow. And then he's like, Oh wait, all these guys, they're not going to just leave. I mean, maybe some of the new guys, but like, and it's like, yeah, Grayson, you were never going to have to do it alone. No, Lori would stay with Uh, me (laughs) and Ramaj too. For sure. I definitely have those two. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, yeah, Grayson. My thing in this whole argument that struck me as old Graysonism was uh, a line that was very reminiscent to being like, the Great Death Legion will have no room for political scuffles in their future, (laughs) was like when they're starting that argument of like, things have changed, Grayson, we really need to look at this. And he throws out, the argument hasn't changed since we signed this contract. (laughs) But it did, Grayson. Like, things have absolutely changed from you training people for a couple weeks to fighting a war on this planet with, like, ten mechs. It's pretty much changed in almost every way it can. Yeah, it's kind of completely different, actually. (laughs) 
but then he like hand waves him, hits him with like Jedi magic, and they're yep. and they're like, but we will win though. And they're like, well, damn it, Grayson, why are you so likable? He's been right so far. <laughs> It's like it's it's like if you if you play Mech Warrior right, you just go you just try to take the one little garrison duty contract, and then you go down, and it's like this is a five mission operation, and it starts on a beachhead, and you're like, what? Like, this is this isn't what I signed up for. Like, <laughs> Admittedly, I actually argue the way he brings them all in is like, well, what else do we, what other options do we have? And they all kind of look at each other, and we're like, oh yeah. Yeah. So then one guy, forget his name, is it Yaleg? Yaleg, yeah. There is another choice. We could go over to Karita. And then like there's kind of just like crickets. Oh <laughs> <and> yeah. <laughs> a lot of stink eyes from the twelve when he's there. Yeah, exactly. Like I just see like Ramage like like change his posture into like hands on hips, you know, like maybe like a spit over to the fire. Anyway, Grayson I just was making fun of him, but I think he handles... There's a few dudes that kind of pushing back and are like, we should go over the Cretans or just disband or whatever. And I think Grayson handles this literally as best as he can. He's a little dramatic with it, and he uses his little, like, his little Apple Watch recorder <laughs> and is like... He pulls it out and he's like, hey. Oh, yeah. Like... Are you uh, renouncing your like duty to the legion? And the dude's like, "Hey, no." It's yeah. There's a whole do right. There's a there's definitely this whole confrontation with Yaleg Yarlis. He's definitely the strongest dissenting voice, and uh, he's basically. I mean, he gets very close to saying no. And he's like, "I'm not gonna do this." <clears throat> and he's like, "You know, I'll I'll go back to Galatea." But he's like, "How? There's like a blockade. Where are you gonna go? You really can't." And he's just like, "But I didn't." I didn't sign a suicide pact. This thing's crazy. And yeah, that's when, yes, Grayson grabs the wrist recorder and like hits record. And he's like, Mech Warrior, do you hereby renounce the legal contract? And he's, and the dude's like, what? No, I, I, I didn't. But I wanted to point this out. What Grayson says here, he can't have you a part of this unit if you're not wholeheartedly committed to it, to us. If you get into a scrap and you're standing on our flank, we have to know we can count on you. The people who hired us have to know that we're not going to switch over to the other side the first chance we get. He gives it to him straight, though. I was like, nice little, that's a, that's that's like a good little line. He re, he really, he's he's like, son, we got to know you're in it or we can't trust you. And this, like, this thing doesn't work if we don't trust each other. I thought it was like a, a nice little bit of leadership. I think you're right. This is also what Grayson has brought to the Grey Death Legion. That's, this is this whole thing he's building. This is, I was talking about this in the first book. You know, the Grey Death Legion, as a mercenary company in the Inner Sphere, is known for its Espirit Decor. And that's what Grayson's been building since day one, is a bunch of people that have each other's yeah. backs. And this guy, it's not been something that's been talked about up until now, but Grayson's thinking about it here, right? Like, this is where we're actually kind of seeing it, like, kind of come out and he's like, you know, now he's worried he can't trust this guy. And that's like... Everyone's kind of been on the same page up until now. So when I first read that section, I really liked how Grayson like really kind of stood up, found the guy dissenting. It was like, I'm gonna make an example out of him. And then I thought about it after I read it. And I was like, that could have gone yeah. terrible for Grayson. Because what if Yaleg was like, when he puts the recorder out and he's like, do you renounce? And he goes, yeah, yeah I do. 
And then it's just like now everybody sees that it's an out. And it's like, what can you do then? What's the option? It's just like, oh, I'm just not going to fight. And I'll hang out till I get a ride out of here. And then it's fine. And that could have really backfired on him. But it did work out. But I feel like sometimes you got to take the risk when you need to. That's part of the burden of leadership is that you've got to maintain that order somehow. And you're right. It was a gamble. But it's always going to be a gamble. That's what a leader does. A leader makes decisions. And this was a hard decision to make. Like, what do I do about this guy who's kind of going against the plan? If you gave the guy more time to think about it, he might have had a different answer. But he hit him right on the floor. You're right. But but because he was there yeah. and in a group, but this did cast doubt on the guy, right? Which is what Grayson's alluding to. It definitely helps that when the dude's like, you know, I'll just, you know, I can just leave and take my mech. And Grayson's like, no, nah, that's my mech. And he's like, what? He's like, yeah, you can't take it. It's mine. <laughs> and then the dude's like, all right, well, that it, it, it definitely, he's got some leverage there. Right? The dude tries to take his mech and Grayson's like, no. He's like, that's all my stuff. Yeah. And he's like, fine, I'll stay. <laughs> and then he asks Davis McCall... Delmar Clay. Delmar's like, yeah, you know, it's probably suicide. You know, we don't, what else am I going to do? I'm chill with it. And you know McCall's down for it. He's just like, I. McCall's thing made me a little teary-eyed. How about the rest of you? If you have any doubts, if you want out now, now's the time to say it. Davis McCall grinned, gave a thumbs up gesture. Oh, yeah. Nonverbal. That's way people understood what he was going to say. It was, yeah. The thumbs up's the clear way for him to express affirmative there. I just see like there's like a twinkle in his eye. He's been reading the room the whole time. And he, I just see him like give him like a shit-eating grin to Grayson. Like, yeah. you know. <laughs> it's like he's like, good job. And then, good job. You can get coffee out of your world's greatest boss mug tomorrow. McCall's just happy to see someone else getting like yelled at other than him, right? He's just he's just like yes, the whole time he was like finally. You know, he's just I like to think of it as bravery and stupidity are a fine line. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> I agree. Oh, and uh Peter Dabrowski also also here verbal that he's gonna come along. But Grayson does note that Peter Dabrowski and Yalek Loralis yep. were the biggest unknowns in the situation so far, which was our D-listers. Right. Those were our D-lister candidates for like, who are some minor mech warriors? Yeah, those were our those were our co-candidate D-listers. That we want to highlight. You know, who knows? Who can say what the future holds for these two? <laughs> and as I said before, we had this chapter as kind of the palate cleanse into the new section. Coming back, making sure everybody's on board. The Grey Death Legion is unified. Even if it is shaky, we're unified into going into this next action and we're going to have to see exactly where that new war they decide to fight starts when we get into the next chapter chapter 20 we open with Grayson and Tolan squatting in the bush holding rifles, waiting in ambush. Grayson tells Brasedwick to give the signal. They're watching a column of combine troops approaching their location. There's an assortment of hovercraft and troop carriers, and there are also four mechs, a stinger, a jenner, a trebuchet, and a centurion. He's using the stranded dervish from earlier as bait, the one they had to leave in the woods. They pulled the tarps off so that the combine scanners could spot it. Within two hours... 
combine troops are on the way. They were quick, you know, shout outs. Grayson waits for the, uh, right? He, they're waiting for the troop carriers to pass. They're just waiting. It's just Grayson and Tolan in the bush. You know, Grayson's just like, man, I hope none of my dudes open fire. And then the column is just slowly passing. Once the centurion is in position, he sends the We're in the action now, boys. So this is a great little, I just want to highlight it with bit from Keith. You know, what an ambush is. For those who didn't grow up like a crazy person reading military manuals. So an ambush, in this case, a near or close ambush is the whole point is to do as much damage in as short of amount of time. And after initiating said ambush to maintain and inflict as much chaos on the enemy to prevent them from effectively returning fire or regrouping. So like the whole goal here is, and generally speaking, if you're, you're dealing with some kind of column, like we are in this case, you want to initiate the ambush by in some way, disabling the front and or rear vehicle because you don't want them to be able to get out now in this case the scale is a little different from what modern warfare is because we're dealing with battle mix so you see here grayson lets those hover tanks float on by because those are infantry the infantry that grayson's got set up is going to deal with them he's worried about the battle mix we they've got to get these battle mix out of the way otherwise you know, they're going to have a way worse fight and so that's what you see he initiates on the first mech, in this case, a centurion. Right. It's all timing. Credit to his boys. No one shoots. He's worried that someone's going to shoot because very tense situation, very touchy. Sometimes people shoot, but uh, no one does. They hold their fire. I love the line Keith throws in there for it, where he talks about like how much Grayson grilled that into him, like saying, like, don't shoot, don't shoot until there's the order. Do not take the shot until you get the order. And after going through that, he's like, you can explain it again and again. <laughs> Sometimes it seemed there was always at least one guy who didn't get the word. And I just thought that was a very fun way of describing it because it is something that you'll see in a lot of not only like the literary side of ambush stuff where it's like somebody got impatient or somebody got jittery and it it gets spoiled. As Brent, as you said it, you know, this is all about like time. Time Like and you've got to be as quick and efficient as possible. And if thing, yeah, and if something goes wrong in this, this is high risk, high reward style fighting so i give keith a lot of credit here setting up this ambush scene after what we just went through in chapter 19 we got the breath of fresh air but he doesn't go into this saying like here's exactly how the ambush is laid out you get the idea that an ambush is coming there's a few hints of what has been laid out the dervish's bait another thing i really enjoyed here was that they mentioned the mine detector at the front of the column and for me that isn't always like the first thing. I'm not the most military mindset person. So thinking of like, oh, well, why don't you just set mines and blow up mech legs? And having that little bit just saying like, oh, well, here's how that is avoided. Oh, yeah. And it, it's giving you an idea where it says the mine detector slowed as it came opposite of Grayson. Had they detected the explosive? So you're like, oh, there's an explosive element in here. But they don't go into further into that. And I like how Keith kind of lays out each step without clearly defining the ambush until we get into it a little bit further as soon as everything kicks off. I do like there's a lot of moving parts here, right? Because as I said, the goal here is to cause as much chaos and damage in a short amount of time. So you want to hit everything simultaneously. If the enemy has a chance to regroup and return fire, that's bad. But if they don't, 
you're going to effectively be able to take out all of these guys relatively easy. So what they do here is they have like C4 and stuff on like a rope in order to get it at the, it's like on, on like pulleys and stuff and it's guys so that they can snap it down and, and like get it up to ankle height or ankle or knee joint height. I forget exactly, but, but essentially targeting those vulnerable open places on the mech and what a great, way to kind of see in practical application some of what Ramaj was already talking about. Oh, one last thing before I turn it over. I also initially was like, Minesweeper. I was like, is this actually exist in Battletech? Uh, please write in if you guys know of something, especially some of your older guys. I know sometimes you know about some weird manual that like, because you were around when they were coming out, where stuff like that is. I didn't see it. At first I was like, does this use like a, is this lost tech? Is this like a, a beagle active probe? But then I, they explained it a little bit. I was like, no, and it can't be a beagle active probe because otherwise they would know everyone's hiding in the bushes right here. So uh, please, advice at heat.management. <clears throat> There's a minesweeper in Mech Commander. It has this fork. The, I remember the, the sprite, the little thing. It has this long like fork in the front and it like drives. So it's almost like it's feeling out. And yeah, huh. uh, that's all. I remember that in Mech Commander. A great game. A good game. And to pair it on what you were saying earlier about the setup with the explosives, I thought that was I thought it was really neat as well, how they pulled it up and they were like, and then to get away to to beat the mine detector, like we had them mounted up on trees and we tighten up the rope and the mechs essentially walk into it. The explosives pull away from the trees, totally. leaving the triggering device attached to the tree, swinging it into the mech. It's so crazy. You know this is some Ramage stuff. Yeah. This <laughs> this is Ramage core. Absolutely. Yeah, they have like the uh they've laid this very elaborate trap. It's like the, all the ropes buried under the road that are then like attached to pulleys and then t- they have attached satchel charges to these so then they pull them and the ropes like pop up and then the, it's uh it's so funny. It's brilliant. It really is. It's very elaborate. Yeah. But yeah, they like pull them tight and the ropes pop up and the charges like one of them wraps around the leg of the uh Centurion. It's it's very effective. Though this like attack they pull off, the Centurion and the Trebuchet go down. They're not destroyed, but they totally uh they they uh topple over. And then to prevent the hovercraft from doubling back and killing them all with machine guns, like the ones that have already passed ahead, Grayson has Lori's squad like detonate more charges that set off a cascade of falling trees. And so they managed to box in the other two mechs and the hovercraft using it's the great. tree trunks. Isn't that cool? And like I think it's, yeah, the tree trunks come down and it boxes them in and the surrounding jungle just immediately erupts in gunfire and it descends the column of combine troops into like a total panic. This seems so cool. I love this. This is really kind of a setup for what we're going to, we're going to see a lot more of this scrappy fighting because this is the war they have to fight now. Yeah. I like the way Keith executes it as well. It's not just another mech on mech battle. You know, it's a nice combined arms fight. You get good flair for everything. The descriptions flow really well. The combat is really snappy. Like, you know, all in all, it's a fairly short chapter, but it definitely is the one that when you're reading it, you know, you're in it for the long haul. Like you're, you're just slowly digesting each element of it. 
And it just gets kind of cooler and cooler as it's going on, like as the ambush starts to when it's enacted. And you're just like, hell yeah, Grayson. Like, they might they might pull something off here. You get the scene. It's like Grayson and Tolan. It cuts back to them and they're still squatting, just watching everything happen. And then, like, the Centurion managed to get up, but it's just, it's so chaotic. He just starts, like, blasting away at the nearby terrain. And uh, he's just going wild. And so they're squatting. And then they, like, look over and they see a bunch of, like, combine troops, like, running through the woods. But they don't see them. Like, Grayson and Tolan, they're just, like, watching these, like, dudes run. It's so sick, though. Grayson manages to just one-shot the officer. Right. He just like pulls it up. He's like, got him. Like, boom. And just like clips the officer. <laughs> Tolan just keeps lasering a dude over and over until he eventually stops popping up. Like he's this dude. He, he just keeps lasering him. It's brutal. Then the Satyrian decides to get in on the action. And he just starts ripping into the general area because he's just looking for something to do. And he sees a bunch of fire and he just starts blazing away. And he's <laughs> shredding whatever was remaining of his friends. Uh, it's uh, it's most dishonorable. But it's an effective ambush from Grayson's point of view, right? He did so a ton of chaos and <laughs> like, and oh, absolutely. if I recall, um, we bag a few of these mechs, don't we? <laughs> yeah. Oh, but wait, there's more. Hold on now, because McCall's Rifleman and Clay's Wolverine emerge from their hiding places and obliterate the Centurion. Uh, and then the trebuchet pilot just pops the hatch and gives up. That's true. <laughs> And so, all in all, a very snappy, quick ambush. Like I said earlier, very cool description of the ambush. The Koreans really didn't have anything to work with, which is a good ambush. And what a place to introduce some new mechs that we haven't seen before. It's very reminiscent of the first book when the Rifleman showed up. And it's just like, I'm here. Boom. Ah, I'm down. So, um, Brent. Tell us about these new mechs that we didn't get to see in action. I'd love to. These are two favorites of mine. So let me start with the Jenner, the one that got away. The This Jenner, I believe, is going to be the JR7D, which yes. is kind of the like standard fare for the Jenner. Uh, I love everything about the Jenner. It makes almost every other light mech we've seen up to this point look like a bit of a chump. Coming in at 35 tons and being armed with four medium lasers and an SRM-4, it's packing plenty of heat, pun intended. While it runs hot, it also runs fast, coming in at a nasty 118.8 kph. And with a face like the Starship Enterprise and the legs of a weightlifter that skips leg day... It's a design that is loved in the same way mothers enjoy their ugly children. But that's okay, Jenner. I love you. You're awesome. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. If those ugly children grew up to be multimillionaires and super successful, because, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, pound for pound, when it comes to light mechs in this era, you're a smart man if you throw a Jenner in that lance. Um, I'm not a smart man. I rarely use them. But every time I look at them, I do think I would be better if I was using a Jenner. And admittedly, most people render the the mech with just the four medium lasers as like the ideal Jenner. It's a little bit more heat manageable, but I kind of like the versatility that the SRMs bring, even if it's at the cost of, of doing a little less damage, because it's a bit of a skirmisher, right? You're not going to be 
pressing your advantage at all times, unless you can. In a little bit of board game talk here, <laughs> you have used the Jenner against me multiple times. Multiple times. And it's the SRMs that hit me in the back. That it is. <laughs> are the ones that I don't like to see. So. Yes. <laughs> I've uh, I've lost that thing a few times. <laughs> it gets better in the future, too. Remember, you'll hear us talk about this a lot more uh, when we get to the remembrance for this book. <laughs> so the next mech we've got on our palette, if you will, is the Trebuchet, which is, as Aaron knows, another favorite of mine. The Trebuchet 5N is everything one would want in a medium missile boat. It is cheap to field and provides fire support similar to mechs of a far greater weight class during this time. While its two Zeus LRM-15s are great at pounding enemy mechs from the safety of cover, its three medium lasers sends a clear message to light harassing mechs to get out. While it's often cited for having a suboptimal amount of armor, I would argue it's more than enough for the trebuchet's intended role. As far as appearances go, it looks more like a man with a big sloped helmet, which, hey, that's pretty cool. One last relevant note, it is also annotated that the trebuchet and the centurion were designed to work hand in hand. You can see why they really cover a lot of bases that you wouldn't want covered in a medium multi-role lanch, which is exactly what we see the Koreans oh. doing here. Uh, though I would honestly expect to see this lance composition that we see overall here coming from like the fed sons. That being said, as I was saying, I personally love fielding these guys and I know Aaron, me and you have gone back and forth on, uh, you know, I say trebuchet, you're like, you're like, well, catapult or, you know, like there's, which we can't talk too much about the catapult or the archer. Well, we can't talk about the archer yet. <laughs> well, you, you know, as much as I am a Jenner respecter, I am a trebuchet disrespecter, um, purely for the amount of times you've tried to convince me that it is a great mech. The trebuchet is um, cool. You might be, you, you might be right. But you have tried to tell me that so many times that I absolutely do not like it. And, you know, it'll never replace the Wolverine in Kentaro in my heart. So even though they do completely different things, um, I don't. So therefore, I, I never take them. <laughs> my, my love for it is it's, it's, you know, it doesn't cost a lot of BV, right? You don't have to sink that much value into something that's effectively exclusively fire support, right? I just hope that this gets to be the only example we'll ever see of a Centurion and Trebuchet <laughs> working together. So that way I could be right because they did not do anything here. They were very pointless, very useless here. We'll just and have to see. I love it. that Keith gave me that little island to live <laughs> solitary on for the rest of my life. <laughs> but you're right. Jenner's cool. So in the end, the Jenner gets away, but they capture the Trebuchet. The, the Trebuchet pilot just pops the hatch and gives up. Grayson and Tolan do like the Predator handshake. Everyone cheers. <laughs> That's how the chapter ends. It's awesome. It's victorious. It's, it's triumphant. I was yelling. I loved it. Another Grayson moment of desperate ambush going completely in his favor. And we'll find out exactly the spoils of this ambush in the next chapter. Chapter 21
This chapter opens with the scene of uh, Sue Ellen Klein and Vincent Mills hanging out in his bedroom. If you all remember, this, this was the guy Nagumo assigned to act as Sue Ellen's lover in an attempt to gather more information from her as her initial state of shock diminished. This was the, uh, he's yours, of course, from before. It's Vincent Mills. It's old Vinny, you know? He was already, there was already some chemistry there, and he was like, he was, and then yeah. I think it, it seems like he kind of right. was like, now you've got to do it. And he was like, oh, okay. They, the ladies love Vinny, you know? <laughs> hey, what do you, you know? <laughs> What's not the love, you know? You're like, give it a Vinny. So they're lying together in the darkness, and Sue Ellen is talking through her grief about having to kill Jeffrey. She admits she's been having strange dreams lately. Where like she's in the burning Chippewa and like Grayson is like taunting her, you know, laughing, or where she's like falling off a cliff and Grayson, it's like it's like a whole thing. And they're just talking, holding each other. She's expressing regret that she doesn't have any useful information that could help them get revenge on Grayson. You know, she's like, I'm I remember that guy Aridin, but she's already told them about Aridin. She's going on. He's just kind of like, oh, yeah, that's great. Do you remember anything else? And she's like, she's telling about how the plan was to meet up with the rebel council. And then it's here that Sue Ellen, just while lost, kind of wandering her memories, recalls Aridin using the name Erickson. Didn't Grayson say this back then on the dropship? Do you guys remember this? When Aridin, he was like running his mouth and Grayson was like, hey, shut up. Remember? Yes. He said this, didn't he? This was all the way back in chapter six. Yeah. And there's that conversation where Aridin's going through and saying, you'll be meeting the man on our council named Erickson. He has a place, an island, and continues to go on about that meeting. And Grayson responds with it saying, Grayson frowned at Aridin. The names of the rebel council members were not good items to share with people who might one day find themselves beating their way through the bush on an enemy planet. And then that next line after that is Sue Ellen sat down beside Sherman, who took her hand. And I thought that was a neat little bit. Boom. As we pull that back, Keith did a good job of not only having that conversation, but then immediately bringing Sue Ellen into the mix. So you could go back to that job in your head. So, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I definitely jumped the gun earlier. The first time we saw Sue Ellen... In the holds going, you know, oh, well, Sue Ellen's in shock, all these things, too. Sue Ellen's now sleeping with Vincent Mills and doing her best to give all the information up. So, you know, (laughs) strike one for me. We'll find out how wrong or right maybe I was down the road. But uh, at this point, I'm done. I'm not going to defend or chastise Sue Ellen in this scene because so far it's gone poorly Sue Ellen neutral, if you will. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but now I can say, I, I absolutely still don't like the name Sue Ellen. Man, Vincent Mills immediately realizes that this is a new piece of information, and he leaps up to go tell Nagumo. And by the time Mills gets to Nagumo's office, however, Nagumo already knows. He's already pulled the dossier on Erickson. How does Nagumo already know? Turns out, they installed a microphone in Vincent's bedroom and assigned a technician to monitor their lovemaking. I love the fact that like when they when they unveil this and it's like Dr. Vallade and the other sphere that telling him might make the young captain self-conscious during his <laughs> sessions with the young prisoner. Oh, would it? And it's like, oh, 
This sucks. <laughs> yeah. This terrible. This sucks. It's a, well, you know, DCMS. I just like to think about that technician, though. He's like going to lunch and he's like <laughs> yeah. giving his buds. This poor guy. He's giving his buds like, like, yeah. oh, you do today. He was going, you know, like uh, he was doing the pile driver. Oh, dude, uh, he's selling, you know, he's making extra photocopies <laughs> of his reports on the sly and selling them in the lunchroom. <laughs> you know, they're getting passed around. You know, people are like, what's old Vinny up to? You know, they're, they're, they're what's the, uh, oh, no, we got to stop <laughs> yeah. this. I just, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we can't go too far into the Ruthandy penthouse forums here. <laughs> Thank you. Negama orders two men to go take care of Sue Ellen now that her usefulness has come to an end. You know, and he is like, you know, take care of her in like a different way that like Vinny's been taking yeah. care of her. You know what I mean? There's. I feel like she gets, not only does she get discarded literally, but she kind of like metaphorically gets discarded. Keith just kind of is like, and now we're done with her for a while. <laughs> like, and it's like a sentence. It's like a throwaway. <laughs> and, and, but, and then Nagumo even is like, I just stopped thinking about Sue Ellen after that. He just like pushes. Yeah. This is the Nagumo show. He just pushes yeah. her out of the frame. He just like, well, he just does the Nagumo walk. You know, over to the map on the wall. Just like, yes, there it was. Fox Island. So then we immediately cut back to Fox Island, where another romantic rendezvous is taking place. Dude, it turns out Carlotta Helgemeyer and Tolan Bersedwick are totally an item. They're laying together on a hammock at the edge of the plantation. And you guys got to remember, Grayson called this one. Which means they were probably yeah. yes, being really he obvious. Did. That's true. If Gra- Grayson picked up on some like emotional subtleties, then then then, then they were not subtle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the king of emotional subtlety walking in, being you know spotting it across the room. Nobody told him, <laughs> you know, no spaghetti in his pocket. He's just like, oh, maybe they're hooking up. It's one of those things where, like, even if everyone knows, they can't show it because then it would mean that people would have to talk about right. it. And uh, I do like. That Keith slated this chapter, which you can only assume, you know, as he's got his work notes and everything, it's like chapter 21, the lovemaking chapter. <laughs> it's like storyboarded. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. However, has one of my favorite all-time Keith jokes so far that I've yeah. come across in this chapter Mm-hmm. At the end of it, we're gonna get there. We'll yeah. go, we're gonna stick here. <laughs> oh, but just be ready that there is a great little tongue in cheek. It's not even tongue in cheek. Oh it's, man, there's a great Keith joke later on. I'm excited. <laughs> Tolan's trying to work out some feelings about Grayson. He doesn't understand him. He doesn't act the way he expects a mercenary to act. He basically, he's like, a, he's confused because he thinks Grayson like cares too much. This keeps happening. They don't get it. No one gets it. She reminds him that hiring the mercenaries was Devic Aridin's idea, and originally pretty much the whole council was against it. It's cool to get this little bit of backstory here. Exactly. Because, very interestingly, she notes that Thorvald even suspected that Aridin was trying to make a power play against the old families. Like, Thorvald was like, you could see it. She's saying that he was in the council chambers when he wasn't around, being like, he just wants to hire those mercenaries so he could take control of us. And that it was Erickson who gave Aridin the support to travel to Galatea. 
I thought that was interesting. Thorvald, I did too. That was the guy who exploded in the Warhammer. He was originally against it. It was it was Ericsson, the plantation owner, who was like, you know what? I think he's got a good idea. You can see why they have all of these guys aren't in alignment with each other's goals, right? And we're going to see more of it real soon. So I don't want to get too ahead of myself. But Grayson's here and he's like, let's fight these guys. Yeah. And you can see that <laughs> there's been a point of contention with even just let's fight these guys for some time now. Yeah. Well, it it's kind of showing the shakeup of the pot of like right Grayson's out here fighting a war without an agenda really he's just here to win a war and now you're seeing you know the council itself everybody had a different little agenda for it and him being here has caused a huge issue in all of that so i think it was a i think it was a good scene i'm glad it wasn't just about lovemaking and more chapter space designated to it but i think it was a good way to have that conversation of like Hey, there's a lot more with the council, which we would could easily assume is going on behind the scenes. But that like, yes. oh, there's been all these rifts in there to begin with. And now there's one person standing up talking very loud. And then not only is he talking, but Grayson's getting results. And this is where we find out exactly, you know, as they're talking about, well, it's gone well. Here's what we got from the last ambush. But that's really my point. The reason it's going well is that Grayson has managed to point everyone in the right direction, which was not exactly what was happening before, which is just fighting the war. We also get to, to round it all out here before the next little part of this chapter. We learn where the gang's heading to uh, next, which is Scandia Helm, which one, I think... That name rules. There's a Karita garrison there. Yeah. So it sounds like they're in for more ambushes in the future. Just a little nugget to hold on to for when that comes up again. Yeah. And that action's emboldened. Right. As I was saying that they mentioned, you know, the success of the last ambush, as we talked about in the last chapter about, you know, what did they get from it? And they get to, they lay it out that they captured two of the four enemy mechs, the stinger and the crippled leg trebuchet killed 22 Kiritan soldiers and took another 36 and followed that up with their own losses were only two killed and five wounded. Three of those wounded had been injured in their own <laughs> explosives rather than injured or yeah. fire. So, you he know, that. it is something that it's like uh, the Grayson does what Grayson does here. He had a great ambush. He showed results, but this time like the political systems at odds with each other. So now everybody's kind of looking to him and saying, well, like, these are good results. Like, what else can you do now instead of, you know, twisting him to doing what they want him to do because Grayson's so far out in front of everybody? Yeah. He makes him nervous, though. Again, we get right here. Tolan expresses to Carlotta his fears about this whole guerrilla war because Grayson wants to be aggressive. He wants to keep poking and prodding, taking the war to the villages, keeping the enemy on their toes, you know, keep them contained. But Tolan's telling her, he's like, he's concerned that this will just cause... Nagumo to come down harder on the populace. You know, he's like, all this, we're just going to cause more bloodshed. They're just going to come burn the villages and stuff. He's like, uh, he's like legitimately concerned. And uh, that's, that's when he brings up Scandia Helm. Yeah. He's like, we're going to Scandia Helm tomorrow. His concerns are real. That's probably what's going to happen. But indecision isn't a real decision. And that's going to happen regardless. But if you want to make any progress on your side of this fight, you have to take action. And that's what Grayson's doing. Indecision at Council Rift. <laughs> I also called out earlier when Nagumo was talking about the tactical brilliance. This is another section in this set of chapters that Tolan sits there and goes, 
I have to admit that the youngster knows more about combat than I ever will. I don't know if it's just that he knows all the tricks or if he's some kind of tactical genius. And it's like, man, people are singing his praises, these art. So, you know, man, they're not leaving us a lot of room. Tactical genius. Tactical genius, Grayson Carlisle. But as that rounds up, this is the part where it sets up my favorite joke so far in the whole novel when it cuts to our next scene. After Tolan and Carlotta are sitting there going, nothing can ever keep us separated in this war, to Lori, too, was thinking about Grayson that night. <laughs> thoughts were not pleasant. And I was like, damn, yes, yes. you got me. Yes. The, the intimate chapter, each one of those setting that up. And then Lori, like, is it finally happening? No. <laughs> he has to put it. He, he does a little paragraph break with a little like he does the whole. um like section break just for this, these two paragraphs about Lori having this nightmare about like getting torched by Grayson. The bait and I switch. I love it. It yeah. just, uh, it, yeah. that, that one got me thinking about like how he set that up each start was it's about so the funny. intimacy. Yeah. And then the bait and switch. Yeah. It was so funny. Oh, it doesn't say exactly which nightmare she does though. It, it does give you a little, she gets up, she can't sleep, gets up in the middle of the night to go check the locust. I thought that was cool. She can't sleep. She's like, let me just go check the locust. And I mean, that's that's all that whole section is. It's it's a setup for the joke and Lori's struggling again. And almost as if on cue, we have Lori thinking negatively about Grayson. We then immediately cut to Grayson and he's getting everything all set up for his next ride out here. Yeah. Basically saying everything's been fixed to the best they can. They've got the techs who... Put in a long night, got everything set up, leaving the group left with 16 mechs led by Montito and the repaired dervish, as well as six mercenary mechs. So we've got yes. a good number of mechs rolling out here. We got also, Bersedric has his infantry, about 500 strong. Yep. It's tough getting all that equipment through the jungle, so they can't take everything. Grayson has to leave some things behind. Things like damaged mechs. Tracked vehicles and Yala Yarlis. Grayson decides it wiser not to risk him in combat. They do. Interesting. Yeah. They leave Yarlis because we can't trust him. I thought that was a really interesting little tag onto this because I mean you're re- going through this whole thing about like how strong they are to be moving out. I mean this is probably the strongest they've been the entire book. And the last little line that Keith throws in here, I feel like, is almost necessary to have where you have. The sheer numbers that they're talking about, but then that seed of doubt and uncertainty is left in there by saying like, well, we can't even take one of our own trusted guys because of a small fracture that we had. Like things aren't – things are still critical. Well, it just goes to show you what – again, what Grayson and inevitably the Grey Death Legion's about. He's a liability and it's too much of a liability. And we're going to get to see – where they're taking all that weight and how they're going to use it in the next chapter. Chapter 22. We open on a small combine watch station overlooking Scandia Helm. The station itself consisted of a small supply depot and maintenance facility platoon of 60 soldiers, and one lance of battle mechs. 
The staff is just sitting down for breakfast when Grayson Shadowhawk blasts through the perimeter fence. Like, ohayou gozaimasu. <laughs> they surrender immediately. You know, the GDL captures the whole mech lance in one stroke. It's just, dude, they get all four. They get a wolverine, a wasp, a phoenix hawk, and a panther. They get a panther. We haven't seen the panther, and we have seen a phoenix hawk, but we really haven't had a chance to talk about it. But we'll save that. There's a lot to dissect in this, so we'll talk about that when they have a little skirmish in a few pages. (laughs) Yeah, there's tech stuff ahead. They also capture a large cache of supplies, rations, ammunition, and spare parts. A clean operation. It's clean. And they say that it all goes off without a single loss. And no losses. I really like that Keith made the decision here not to go into a combat scene with this. Totally. I think because we just had the big ambush scene, we could have gone a little combat blind. It would have had a little weird pacing with it. And I like the fact that he uses this to set up the real combat in this chapter is through dialogue. And that's where this section immediately mm. cuts to when the Verthandians uh, from Skandenheim show up. Dialogue, I would go as far to say philosophy. Yes. Okay, just real quick. He just said Skandenheim. <laughs> that's not what it is. Scandia Helm, yes. Put <laughs> respect on their name. It's Scandia Helm. I don't know. Do we let him? <laughs> I wasn't even close. Let me say it again. <laughs> I, I no, I'm gonna. I will keep it. I will save it. I'll tag it onto our car discussion. I have to police Egregious. listeners. You know, I can't catch all of them, but I have to step in when it's particularly. <laughs> that was that was that was an egregious one. Uh, now I got listeners. Hope. I just want you to know. I just want you to know. I hear it too. All right. It's just we got to do a show. I've already been corrected on some of my pronunciations for major factions. Can't let these little cities go unnoticed here. I did want to say I agree with you, Aaron. I like that Keith kind of hand waves this. It keeps it flowing because he Keith definitely has something more important to say here. Yeah. Good point. They, he really does like, okay, you get it. They did a raid. It's successful. But yeah, the boys from Scandihelm pull up because they're up there. They're up in the post. They take the outpost. The people in the village are like, oh, something's going on up there. So they roll up to see what's up. They have arrived to, uh, let's say, express concern that the Combine will destroy their town in retaliation. Basically, that's what happens in this scene, right? It's a whole thing. He's talking to the village elder or this, at least the um, like a representative. <laughs> the chief proctor. <laughs> proctor Jorgensen. Yeah, that's him. Proctor Jorgensen. But yeah, this man, Proctor Jorgensen, shows up. He just kind of walks in. He throws the packet. He has like a bunch of films from uh, footage from um, Mountain Vista. Throws the folder on the table and like flips it open. Like Grayson's going through. It's all the, it's literally the, um, like the prologue, basically. Grayson even analogs kind of in his head. He's like, oh, I know what this is going to be about. He might have not seen the footage already, but Grayson already knows. He's like already read the room. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. That's true. Even before he walks in, he clocks him. Yeah. He's like, oh, man, here we go. Here we go. Yes. Grayson remained impassive, but he knew what was coming next. 
he, <laughs> he asked him, do you know what Naguma will do to us when he learns about this raid? And Grayson's just like, uh, yeah, dude, uh, they'll probably come destroy your town. You know, what are you going to do about <laughs> it? You know? Weird. That's, <laughs> It's almost like there was like a war going on here, old man. That you, it, and then he, the old man has the goal to be like, we've been fighting this war since before you were here, Alf Worlder. And then he hit him with this angle, and it's like, okay, well then fight because that's the only way. Like Grayson basically lays it out, right? The old man's like, oh, you're gonna leave us these guns? What good are guns against battle mech? And Grayson's honest. He's like fucking for shit nothing oh yeah. uh, they're not gonna do he's, anything he says what uh, good are guns against battle mechs why no good at all but they'll be quite useful against the governor's men <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah. and the reality is is that i don't care what government's here in verdandi if enough of the population stands in opposition to them it is impossible for that rulership to continue to hold battle mechs or not and then grayson also adds they're going to be the battle mechs are going to be busy dealing with me. So basically all you have to do is deal with Nagomu's men and then keep them out and get your friends to keep them out of there and problem solve. How about like, Grayson's kind of like I'm fighting yeah. this war. How about you join in? It's a great yeah. scene. I really like the evolution of Grayson here because Grayson does. He, he pegs it. As soon as the guy comes up to him and starts throwing him films of war tragedies, which Grayson is aware of, you know, he's not like, oh, no, bad things have happened in this war. Uh, Grayson made this yeah. plan knowing this was going to be the consequence. Grayson, Grayson yeah. understood. Grayson's out here he, fighting a war. Yeah. There's even a bit of a line where at the beginning where he's like, you didn't let us know you were going to do this. And Grayson's like, if I had to consult every village before I like sprung them loose, there wouldn't be a war to fight. The, what was already happening would just continue to happen. And that's what Grayson's trying to show this old man and pretty much everyone he's run into. Like everyone, this is keeps happening. Yes. I like that Grayson has the wherewithal here to understand like, there is no fine balance to maintain in this war environment of fighting a war without risking casualty. Right. And, yeah. you know, he kind of, he, he says this is awful, essentially. Like, it's all bad. You, but you can't, you can't win this thing without being ahead of it. You yeah. can't go out there without action. You'll never make any progress. And the Caritans are just going to win. So... He's like, so what What would you rather have this war look like? Would you rather have it a war that's fought to win? Or do you want to just stay under combine rule where they just get to do things like Mountain Vista to you whenever they feel like? And you just get to hope that it doesn't happen to you this week. And I, I like that that was the approach Grayson took with this. And the whole time having this kind of card in his pocket of like, I'm not just going to abandon these people, but I need them to tell me that they're going to fight on their own without me being the center of support for them because I need to rally he, these people. He doesn't really give them a choice as he yeah. shouldn't. This is their war as they've so adequately said. Well, and it, it wasn't so much of giving them a choice about his actions, basically laying the line, the line in the sand saying, I'm going to keep doing this. Yeah. I'm going to keep fighting this war. How, whatever you do is your decision. You can either take part in the war or you can sit back and wait for the consequences of war to come to you. 
And I really like that. I think that was the thing that this was big boy pants totally. Grayson moment where yeah. he was the one talking sense to people that didn't want to hear the reality. But eventually through playing the antagonist of this conversation got them to realize that that's what's going to happen. That's a very good observation, Aaron. He does take the seat of the bad guys. Uh, and the old man appears to have come around in the end and is like, you know what, Grayson, you're making some sense. Yeah. He tells the dude, he's like, dude, you just got to fight. I don't know what to tell you. He tells Tolan, he's like, dude, go get Ramaj, pass out some weapons and ammo. You know, let's, uh, let's go. What do you, it's like, a yeah, they're pretty, yeah. Yeah. You'll probably get attacked. You got to fight. The dude pushes back on him. He's like, but we're just one village. Grayson's like, cool. Then go talk to your neighbors, dude. You know, you got like 200,000 people on this planet. The Combine don't stand a chance. What are you doing? I'll come back, you know, I'll provide some additional training or whatever. But again, just like Tolan was saying to Carlotta, this man accuses Grayson of co-opting their war. You see the same line again, where it's like, you're turning this into your war. And Grayson's like, no, dude, this is... This is your war, though. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I'm just trying. You guys don't seem to want to fight it, though. He's like, it's the same <laughs> war. Like, it hasn't. War 2, the sequel, hasn't started. It's just the same thing. I'm just doing it better now. The best thing that could happen is Grayson makes it his war. That's the best thing for them. They're really, they're really just like, oh, he's going to get credit. Yeah, but I like that Keith throws in this opposition chapter. I do too. I like the reality of it of like, oh, Grayson isn't just being a little kid about this because if he was, we would be the first one to take the piss at him for it. But it is something that he understands the consequences of what he's doing fully. He still made the decision to move forward. And I like the fact that this kind of rounds up this conversation with as soon as those guys show that spirit he's looking for, he's looking for that answer of, well, then we just fight <laughs> then. And he goes, okay, well, if, since you've decided to fight, why don't I leave some mechs for you? The captured Wolverine, yeah. you know, that was part, that was here in your town. It might as well stay in your town. And they're like, but we don't, we don't have anything to do with that. And he's like, well, I might as well leave some mech warrior trainees too, to fight your war. Yeah. Yeah. And Tolan's like, Tolan's like, oh, you know what? I could, I, you know, I could leave a couple hundred of my boys behind. They kind of yep. hang out, watch the place for you. It's cool. The reality is, is that what Grayson is fighting is an insurgency. And as most millennials uh, and Gen Xers grew up listening on the news, the way to win an insurgency is hearts and minds. And Grayson understands this. And this is the first of many steps towards getting the people behind this movement in order to win this war, because Grayson understands the reality of this is that the only way Grayson is going to get off this rock and win this war is if the people themselves rise up and help him. Yeah. Well, it's true. And to, to go with your credit on that, you know, this little section, this conversation wraps up with Tolan kind of reveals his motivation of like, oh, by the way, my yes. whole family, my my mom was killed. Yes. My dad and brother joined the loyalist faction. I'm out here alone. This war has hit me my entire life. Everything I know is wrapped up in this. But then at the end, when they say like, well, what are we going to do with two mechs and, you know, fresh pilots? Tolan, he wins Tolan here. To kind of show as the macro. Yeah, he wins Tolan. He totally does. 
it, when we talked about Aridin and looking at Aridin in New Light, we get to see Tolan as the representative of the macro for Thandi. And, you know, his response to round out the section is, you know, not yet, maybe, but for the first the time, truth. I'm almost beginning to yeah. feel like we have half a chance. And it's like, that yeah. was what Grayson was looking for. And that is what Keith uses here, I think, so smartly to use Tolan in that scenario to, you know, represent some of the Thandi rebellion <laughs> to say like, oh, he's getting to him. Like the, the Grayson charm is somehow working and, you know, he did everything right to have that work for him here. Yeah. That little conversation he has. I love that little scene because Grayson, he finally wins the dude over and then Tolan like walks up. He's like, hey man, I, and maybe I think Trent Sparks does like, such a good job with Tolan. I just feel like he kind of, he kind of takes him. You feel like he like hand around the neck, kind of like takes him aside. And he's just like, uh, Hey man, you know, this, this town, Scandyhelm, this, this is my hometown. You know, I grew up here. You know, these are my people. And he's like talking to Grace and he's like pulled him aside. He's like, you know, not all Verthandians think what the rebels are doing is right. He tells Grayson his mother was killed in a rebel attack. So his father and brother joined the loyalist forces. And he explains that the class division that like a lot of people see the war as a chance to win out against the old families. And they're like, oh, this class division thing is like, it's like for real here. And that's why there's so many loyalists. The moderates are loyalists, of course, because, you know, the status quo is changing, but they just, it's fine. Yeah, this totally sheds light on that, that whole situation. Tolan tells him that eventually his father was lynched by a rebel mob, hasn't heard from his brother in years. That's tough. We learned, that we, yeah, we get his whole backstory here. He's just kind of left side with Grayson. I like this, this little conversation. This, this really is, like you said, Aaron, it, 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 it totally ends with Tolan being like, yeah, man, I actually feel like we got a chance. You know, I love it. We take a dark scene, end it with a little glimmer of hope and light <laughs> to yeah. go to a very it's dark like, night operation in the next little section. This next section begins with the Union class dropship Zhao coming in atmosphere. Dude, this scene is so sick. We get this dropship coming in. It's got some dudes on it. What kind of dudes? The Draconis Elite Strike Team. Before we even get into it, Keith gives us a little rundown about who Dest are, the DEST. They're the best of the best. These guys are stone-cold killers, and now they have a target. So we get this whole scene, nighttime, infiltration. The dropship, like, cuts its engines, you know, and starts drifting in and drops its payload. These pods emerge, and they break off, and after falling for a kilometer... They split open, and the DEST commandos emerge. They, like, triangulate on the drop position. They're just, like, falling through the night. They open their chutes, like, really low. And they all, like, get their target on, and they just begin... Yeah, they're just descending onto their target, which is, of course, Fox Island. And these, these guys, they just hit the ground and immediately just start slitting throats and throwing shirkins. Like, it's sick. They like sneak up onto the veranda of the plantation house and they kill Garn Dober, Tolden's second in command. I was like, oh no, not Garn. Not Garn. They threw a flashbang inside and like flush everyone out and then they just cut them all down with like laser fire. It's a slaughter. It's brutal. It's just this scene of these combine commandos just like dropping onto Fox Island and like killing everyone. They find everything. The caves, the base, everything. 
they take prisoner anyone they don't kill. Uh, however, they do make sure that Erickson was, quote, killed while trying to escape. It's just this whole section. It's so, it's so cool. I mean, it's very sad. It's, t- you're right. It's such a whiplash. You get the hopeful, oh, man, maybe we're going to do it. And then it's just these ice cold commandos just like shredding everyone. Yeah. They're like, once they kind of uh, get everything stabilized, you know, he calls the, the leader calls Kevlavik, you know, to uh, inform him that the area is secure. You know, Kevlavik's like, we'll be there in about three hours. It's brutal. It's cool, though. I love this. I love the ninja stuff. I loved this scene in here because, yeah. I mean, you, you can really feel like the commando style writing. Like it definitely, it's almost a sharp contrast to the rest of the combats we've seen in Keith's work so far in Decision at Thunder Rift and Mercenary Star because this almost comes off like a good 70s, 80s action, like military novel. Yeah. And... I, I just think it was well-placed here because we've been on such the up and up with Grayson winning and finding success and turning this around to like, oh, wait, the combine yeah. isn't ineffective. It, you know, we are up against still a very functional force and gives the combine a moment to say like, you know, this is a major faction in Battletech. This isn't just like some house on a small planet. You know, yeah. they have been fumbling against a man who shoved mud in his ears, as we love to make fun of. And yeah. one guy has made this big of a difference. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. You know, if you get too far up on a radar, this kind of stuff can happen to you. So it's a yeah. delicate balance. And I think it's important to remember just like how easy it would be to be completely wiped out. If uh, if the Grey Death Legion was here at the time, that would be the yes. end of this trilogy. I don't know. I'm not willing to say that wholeheartedly. Uh, it definitely would have taken quite a bit of losses, but they do have quite a bit of dudes here with them. And that's what made this... So these guys, and they talk about it earlier in this book, where they're they're kind of alluding to this, which is that these are a, a, a scalpel tool, right? There's a reason that Nagomu has not been using these guys over and over again or really just like thrown them into the wind like other troops special operations especially the ones that like 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 outlined here that are like this effective this is years in the making and trillions of k bills or is it k bills Cretan bills or are they i don't remember off the top of my head oh yeah what do they call is it just the um Dra- draco dollars <laughs> beautiful I guess it's dragging dollars then. Uh, right in at advice at heat dot management. <laughs> oh, dragon dollar. That's right. He's right. I think it's dragon dollars. <laughs> we know we're wrong. Anyway, I'll look it up like right after this. We don't need to write in. I know we know we're wrong. So my point is, is that these desk commandos, lots of money has been sunk into their training and the cutting edge gear to make them this effective. They are like the knife's edge of people, right? And so you don't just go sending them in on a whim. And I would actually argue they were they were very effective here, but admittedly, they really faced no opposition. Now, that was part of the plan to some extent, but also I think that it would have been a fight if we had had those 500 men 
uh, 500 uh, rebel infantry and a bunch of battle mechs here with mechs likely standing watch. I think that this scene would have played out. Maybe they still would have won, but I don't think it would have been a clean win like it was here. That's my two cents, though. That's okay. I buy it. I like it. You know what? If they had been here, it would have been you because they would have they do have a lot of mechs and they have a lot of dudes. That's true. It would have been, you know, you never know. Oh, right. But that's basically the end of this chapter. Colonel Kev's like, we'll be there in about three hours. And the dudes, the commando commander. Yeah. He's just like three hours. He looked down again at the rebel's body by his feet. By that time, things at the rebel base would be well in hand. Wow. And so as we were talking, you know, that contrast between success to a hard strike. And as Brent, you were saying, you know, this is a specialty group. When Nagomu got word finally of like concrete evidence of where this stronghold was, that's when these dudes get deployed. And they did it. You know, they did the stronghold in, not really even a chance of fighting back without Grayson being there. And as you said, you know, I made the bold sweeping claim that it would be over, but you're right. They could have gone very differently, but it wouldn't have gone well. Either way, but losing the council stronghold, the as we talked about the two different wars and the war sequel here that we've talked about all episode, the original Verthandi led war has just been delivered its death blow. Now all that's left is the organization that Grayson's brought into it. And we're going to see the impacts of that in the next chapter. Chapter 23. We rejoin Grayson and the gang. They were on their way back to base, but have stopped for the night. So, immediately after that horror show of just after, you know, we've just seen everyone else get killed and captured, basically. Back to our team here, and it's like, okay, so what's Grayson doing? Turns out he's hunched over in his cockpit. He's got, like, the maintenance panel cracked open, and he's trying to make coffee in a small brass pot over, like, a cooling duct, like a hot pipe. I just, it's like you get this horrible scene, this carnage, and it just cuts hard cut to grace. I'm like, ah, ah, like burning himself, trying to, like, you know, like, he's got his hands in, like, a little thing, and... uh he recalls picking up strange transmissions, and uh, he has a feeling that something strange is happening. There's a little thing where he's like, the comms guy's got some, they picked up something. I don't know, but then it got cut off. We're not sure. He remembers seeing like light in the distance. Like I thought maybe it's something on a, I don't know. They heard something, they saw something, but it's like, it's very vague. So they're moving a little cautiously, I think. They know that something might have happened, but they begin moving again before dawn. They're about five kilometers from camp. When Lori gets a sensor reading, a man approaching, the figure emerges onto the path, caked in blood. Grayson dismounts and approaches. It's Yaleg Yarolis. Stumbles out onto the path, and we get this whole scene. How shocking. The man we left behind, Yaleg Yarolis, the dissenter, or I don't know, you know, he was within his right to voice his opinion, but now he's here, bleeding to death. In the middle of the woods. Yeah, he's having trouble keeping all the blood in. It's a bad problem to have. It's the story element that it had to be. Of all the people to, like, wander up on the the mech pad there, 
it would be yarless. Uh, you know, sure. Sometimes you do have to kind of have a hand wave in there. Things have to happen because of the story. <laughs> we had to add some stakes to this revelation of the Grey Death Legion figuring out about the commando yes. raid. <laughs> it does. It does feel a little strong that it was Yaleg that managed to wander exactly where the boys are. Oh, it's so dramatic. I love it. Yeah, this is great. Yeah. Yeah, he's ble- he's you know <laughs> grace and bleeding in his arms. The medic has run up and they're trying to work on him. They're like, get out of the way. I feel like the medic tries to push Grayson out of the way and like applying Grayson, but Grayson's like, what happened? You know, and Yarlis is like, he tells him about the attack. They're still there waiting. Grayson keeps pumping him for information, like visibly irritating his medic. It says that. That the medic like cuts him a glance, like, dude, mm-hmm. shut up. Mm-hmm. You know, how many mechs? A company or more. But the, the reality is, is that Grayson's read the same room that the medic has. The medic is trying to like look out for his patient, but Grayson knows Yarlig's not for this world. Yeah, as as you say there, there's that line. He was no medic, but he knew Yarlis didn't have a chance outside of a well-stocked hospital, which they weren't likely to find out here. And then they start kind of covering his injuries and everything like that. And it's like, oh, yeah, Keith wrote in a way that's like, this guy, this guy's dead. It's a miracle he made it this far. You know, yeah, Grayson's pumping him for information. And to Grayson's credit here, it's like, he's not going to live. But by pumping him for information, maybe (laughs) no one else here has to die. It's a little bit of redemption. We get a little redemption from Yarlig. It, It is a little like thick. I, I feel like redemption's a strong word because I don't really feel like he needed redeeming. He just was like, hold on, guys. Do we want to fight a war that we're not sure. going to get paid for to fight? As a mercenary, I feel like he was technically in the right from the mercenary mindset. It's Grayson and the rest of the Grey Death Legion that's like, well, we're here. We might as well see this war through. That's the best way for us to get off the planet. Both had their moments of being correct. <laughs> <laughs> and Yarleg had to be the one that stayed behind and unfortunately was the one that felt all the consequences. He said Yarleg. <laughs> so, you know, Yarlis, I, I do like, it's, <laughs> they tell him, you know, they're like, what happened? So Yarlis managed to get away in the initial raid or, you know, he wasn't killed in that initial like assault, but, but he was trying to slip out without being in, and try to like warn them. But a Phoenix Hawk got him with the machine guns. It saw him. Phoenix Hawk got him. Yeah, and then he doesn't get much more out after that before he dies. This really does suck. And everyone kind of feels this happens like in front of, you know, Grace and Lori. They all kind of like, it all kind of hits them in the gut. So Grayson, he gets everyone together. He tells the team, there's been a change in plans, guys. We have a situation. He tells them they'll have to cut north. And meet up with the Phobos. They're going, they're going across land to where the Phobos is. But, of course, a non-trivial portion of his personnel are the children and family members of the people that Grayson just told them to abandon. So, naturally, a protest arises. We get a whole scene here where Grayson's basically the guys, we got to cut and run. We got to get out of here. And the people are like... No, we got to go in. You know, a bunch of the people are trying. They want to go in. Look, he tells them, look, guys, if we go in there now, like it's game over, right? If we go in there now, we're all dead. Obvious trap is obvious. Yeah, they don't like it. They don't like it, but he's right. He's right and they all know it, 
right? So they just they throw Yaleg's body in the back of a hover transport mm-hmm. and uh, get moving. So Grayson and the crew keep pushing through the jungle. You know, he's trying to keep up a brisk pace, but these machines were not designed to take this kind of abuse without, like, maintenance. It's not, I would argue, it's not all machine either. There is a bit of a morale hit after all this, as to be expected. As there should be. Yeah. Oh, yes. As it should. (laughs) That's funny. Uh, As it should be. At one point, a picker mech breaks down and they just have to leave it. It's just like, we just got to come on, just climb into one of the things, dude. We just got to leave it here. Poor picker mech. There's leaving a trail of equipment behind them. Keith sets the scene that, like, the cloud cover has finally lifted. They're basically getting clear sky through the canopy that they're marching through. And Grayson's like, at this point, like, we could be spotted by spy satellites. Like, if we don't keep moving, we're easy to catch. That's exactly what I was going to say, is that Grayson knows, and as well as a lot of the regular, the usual suspects, understand that speed is the only thing that's going to keep them alive here. And they have to keep moving, and they've got to get some distance away from those commandos. And the likely support that they will have coming for the trap that they're going to have inevitably set for the Great F Legion. So they got to make space. That's true. That's a good point. And we know agromechs are known for their speed. Oh, the agromechs. Yes. It's, uh, <laughs> what are they? Because they were, it was just before dawn. So now it's a little past noon. Grayson has to fall to the back of the column to help a couple of logger mechs who are straggling. He like, he starts, he runs over, he starts using the Shadowhawk's arm to like clear foliage to, uh, you know, move like trees and stuff out of the way, helping them like clear it, help, you know, get through faster. And he's like telling them like, guys, we're almost there. You know, we just need like another 20 clicks, you know, we can do 20 clicks. And then it just, the chapter ends. It's at that moment, the enemy mechs attacked chapter end. And you're like, oh no, oh no. That's, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the one yeah, sentence they didn't need. What a good way of creating tension, but also this is, we don't know much, but we know that this is probably an ambush, not unlike what we saw just a few chapters back from Grayson. So this mm-hmm. is not going to be good. No. And, you know, <laughs> we've we've gotten to say a lot of good things that Keith has done this episode. And I mean, one of the biggest ones is like, in this group of five chapters that we're covering, how many tonal shifts have we had from chapter to chapter? I mean, we've been up, we've been down, back up totally. again, all the way back down to this point where we're not even out of it yet, where it really kind of plummets down. Like we got hit hard in the last chapter. We do what we have to here. Now it's just the tired drag through the jungle to try to get somewhere, anywhere at this point, And then to end that one with the enemy mechs attacked. You hate to see it. And we'll find out exactly which mechs are attacking in the next chapter. Chapter 24 Combine mechs have appeared on the trail, and in the lead is Colonel Keb's Marauder. It's got a cool like paint scheme. It's like jungle camouflage, I think it says. Yes. Yep. Right here, Camouflage Marauder. I'm just going to go ahead and throw out my submission for Mech of the Book. And it's the Marauder, guys. Oh. 
Camouflage Marauder. I'm just going to go ahead and say that's my uh, mech of the book right here, the Marauder. You'll see why in a few chapters from now, but that's that's my submission. Thank you. Uh, please. Uh, Green and brown jungle camouflage. <laughs> that's Brent's mech of the book. That's good. <laughs> That'll give me plenty of time to think of a way to describe my mech of the book, <laughs> which I haven't found yet. It's a better chance to get me to win. By the end of it, you guys are all going to be, I'm sorry, this is the Marauder book. Oh, yeah. I forgot about mech of the book. Good point, Brent. Okay, so he's also got a panther and a phoenix hawk with him. Brent, tell me what's what's going on. Help me out. Oh, yes. We got two, well, one new mech and one that we didn't really get a chance to talk about. If you recall that Grayson's dad, unfortunately, met his untimely demise in a Phoenix Hawk. So I'm going to talk about that as well. So the Panther is pretty much the what if the Griffin sucked. Hey, I also like the Panther. I listen. I was just kidding, everyone. Don't all fire your single PPC at this man just yet. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, now wait a minute. (laughs) So the Panther, like I've said, just kidding. It's not Griffin at home. In fact, it's too slow to be that. No, I've got to start this whole thing over. Um, (laughs) No, I'm not going to allow this. No. Uh, You've laid your bed. (laughs) The Panther is often used as a command mech in Korean Light Lances. And... While it is slow moving, it is very punchy. The mech moves at a lumbering 64.8 kph, which is slow for a lot of assault mechs at this time. Well, not slow, about average, which is unfortunate. However, the punch comes from a Lord's Light particle projectile cannon, which is, you know, the thing that the heavy Marauder has two of. It follows that up with a Telos SRM-4 to help cover that minimum range band caused by the PPC's feedback. As far as looks go, it's kind of like if Mega Man had a cat's head, <laughs> which is cool. Dude, it looks pretty cool. I love that it has like the cat head. It's actually a good description. It really does. I, I also. But it's not overtly a cat head. Like it's not, it's just like a machine that's shaped... It's cool that it. I, I've always thought it's. It really is. It's like how the wolfhound is like kind of like the wolf. It's a. Uh, I love these. I think it's cool. Totally. All things considered, I like this mech. I have found it tactically challenging to use. It wants to harass from long range, from some kind of cover. It can be a good flanker because it is often ignored for bigger threats. It has jump jets too, which gives it a little wiggle room if it gets pressed too hard. However, it really needs that support to be effective. We saw a panther earlier, which is now in the hands of those rebels, and I actually think it's going to be a good little sniper for hit-and-run attacks for the rebels. It'd be a better one if it could move a little bit faster, but that PPC, it still allows it to engage from safer distances for engaging in those hit-and-run tactics. It does have little fangs, like kind of. It does have little fangs. Yeah. Hear me out. What if it had an ER PPC and a Streak SRM4? (laughs) I think this thing really actually wants to be like tiny. I would... I think it would be better going all in and just having like a weak spot. I think having an LRM 10 
and a PPC, I think, is actually like the better move. Okay. But that's not going to be possible until certain things happen in a certain third book in a certain trilogy. Oh, <laughs> <Interesting>. <laughs> <I cut that. laughs> moving on. We have well, Phoenix Hawk. I was a little hot and cold on the Panther, but the Phoenix Hawk for a 3025 era battle mech, there really isn't a better light mech hunter killer. This thing moves around at a swift 97.2 kph, and it looks like a retro wave music video doing it. This thing oozes anime coolness in all of its art depictions, probably because its origins in So, weapons, this thing has a large laser, two medium lasers, and two machine guns for those pesky blips in the bushes. Nice. This mech has a real low logistics footprint and is a perfect mech for, again, hit-and-run tactics. This thing will be a boon for Grayson and the Rebels if they can get another one of these things. On top of that, it has six jump jets just in case you find your back to the wall and want to fly to the other side of a town. It does run hot, but with a mech this cool, how could it not? Hey. <laughs> hey, you know? <laughs> you know? Hey. And I, I always wanted to say the Phoenix Hawk, despite it's called the Phoenix Hawk, but I always thought it looked very insectoid. I always thought I always kind of lumped this I in agree. with the insect mechs. It's like a, I think it's a big, and yes, it's very anime. It's it, it is also one of the most anime looking mechs. See, I thought it was called the Phoenix Hawk because your heat levels were always very high in that mech. In the Succession Wars, this is the like commander of the reconnaissance lance, right? He's got his lo- like paralocust, and then maybe like a wasp. This guy's cool. I'm chill with it. They're weird. It's uh, it's so funny with these early mechs, like because these are like some of the originals, like with the Phoenix Hawk and the Shadowhawk. He was going for a thing, whoever. Anyway, these things immediately begin shredding the logger mechs. I mean, they are they get they're getting to, you know, Grayson. So we have a yeah. So it's this chapter just begins. The Colonel rolls up with his Marauder, the Panther, the Phoenix Hawk, and just start laying into him grayson has to like wheel around because remember he's in the back of the column but helping these kids he was like clearing brush and stuff he blasts the marauder with the autocannon the shadow hawks uh iconic shoulder mounted autocannon hits the marauder with the autocannon blasts the panther with srms <laughs> the kid in the logger mech just keeps peppering the marauder with like machine gun rounds right like he's just like holding down the trigger so the marauder in turn just turns i see just like torso twists and like <laughs> double ppc just like explodes this like logger mech uh grayson keeps the trigger down though right he's trying to he's trying to slow the advance right he just like he just keeps hammering him he's, he's hitting the autocannon the missiles the lasers and what have you you know he's trying to hold him off the fourth lance member arrives a combine archer pulls up, just kind of comes lumbering through the forest and uh, to join his lance mates. And you're like, oh, it's an archer. We haven't seen an archer yet, have we? We have not seen an archer. <laughs> nope. And bef- before yeah. we turn Brent uh-huh. loose on the archer here, I-, I did like in that scene how you know Olsen sitting there with the logger mech with the machine gun shooting it at the marauder who, you know, very calmly 
turns to the annoying machine gun fire and fires at it. And yeah. but during that time, Grayson's like looking over <laughs> at him like, yeah. Olsen, no, yeah. machine guns aren't going to do it. And Olsen's like, I can hold him till you get clear. It's very it's, sad. It, it just hit me with that yeah. like, yeah. I'm doing my part, Starship Troopers moment of like, Grayson's like, no. And uh, I, I just think that was a fun little scene in there. That it's like, don't just shoot the Marauder with machine guns. The archer comes lumbering out of the brush. And that kid in the logger mech, he got messed up, but he's still, he somehow manages to get up and he just like guns the throttle. And as soon as the archer like kind of like groups up with his lance, the logger mech like lunges forward and like smashes into the side of him. And he totally destabilizes. He knocks it over. It's sick. The, 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 like the archer appears and then immediately gets like tackled. By the uh, logger mech. But yes, Brent, tell me about the archer, please. I want to... Like the other ones, we kind of get a blip of the archer. But the thing is, I would have assumed that this would be the 2K variant. 2K is the K standing for Kareetan. However, that's not the case. A quote later in the book shows that it has to be actually a ARC tack 2R. Uh, I will not directly quote it because it's not happened yet. You're welcome, Aaron. So the 2R Archer, this thing for its time is perfect. I mean, mm, Primavera for its role. Fire support. The Archer has two Doombug LRM-20s. These things rip armor off by the ton from a distance. These are backed up by four medium lasers, two forward, two aft. If that's not enough, the mech has two fisty cuffs and the tonnage to make those punches really hurt. Did I mention it also looks pretty cool? I haven't found an iteration, actually, that I haven't liked. Even the general, like, ugly duckling unseen art looks really cool. I mean, they just kind of, like, strapped two arms on the side of two giant missile pods with an angled cockpit in the middle. You throw on some leggies, and you have yourself an archer. There's also this thing where it's, like, one of the oldest designs in the Inner Sphere. I mean, this thing's, like, almost Mackie old. And it's just proof that... Interesting. Things that are not broke do not require repair, as they say. That's... Heck yeah. That's great. I love that. <laughs> the archer rules. It's great at what it does. It's good It's good at what... It, it's... There's not really much of an argument to be made. It's really good at what it does. If there was one, I'd make it. But, I mean, it's it's a solid. Yeah. <laughs> it does. And it always reminds me, I don't know why, but the, the Archer feels so, like, regal. It feels like <laughs> this medieval tower. Yeah. To, you know, like this, uh, it feels like the knight. Yes, like this. Like a um, rook. Like a rook. It does. It, it, it has this... Uh, it's great. This this big missile they like open up and it just feels like the artillery, you know, like it's very medieval. Like I don't know. I've always thought of it like that. Like it's like uh I love it. The archer is cool. We get a they there's so many archers. We this is not there's like so many archers in these books. This is not the last time. I actually felt bad about pulling it out here. I almost was like we should really save this for another trilogy. There's there's more. But I I like to think of the archer as like a mech's mech. Like, it, when you are a kid, like, designing a mech <laughs> or building, like, Lego mechs, like, you build th something that looks like an archer. Sure. I was going to say that. Totally. Yeah. It is something that, like, when you think about 
just the word mech, you come to uh, your first thought, whether yeah. you've ever stepped foot in Battletech or not, like the archer is going to come into uh, something resembling an archer is going to come to your mind. Totally. <laughs> a mech's mech. That's a very good way of saying it. So, yeah. Kid in the logger mech, like, tackles the archer, knocks it over. The phoenix hawk turns to help its buddy. And this is, you know, Grayson's like, aha, a critical error, which is to say the phoenix hawk turns around. And Grayson's like, nice, light it up. And they, like, rip into its back armor. They totally shred the back armor of the phoenix hawk. It's awesome. Oh, and then, right, so it tries to then, the pilot's like, oh, man, I'm, my, my back armor's getting tore up. I got to fire my jump jets. But it sets off like a, some kind of chain reaction and the thing like explodes or something. Mm-hmm. Isn't that, that's what happens, right? Did I read that right? Yes. It's kind of mucky what happens. You know, Grayson shoots it. The jump jets explode. Like there's sparks, jump jets. Like there's an exposed f- like fuel canister, which is weird because that's not actually how jump jets work but i feel like that's because things are retconned later because jump jets actually use yeah they use well i was i don't they uses the engine like exactly. it uses the fusion engine yeah so there wouldn't be fuel canisters unless it was like some kind of converted i i don't know i didn't i didn't want to like dig too much into it oh maybe the phoenix hawk does i would believe it though i feel like the phoenix hawk it's jump jets are it's like possible. special sure you know i feel like it has like, I always thought that because it seems like it's made for them. They're like prominently displayed. In pretty much every art. Yeah. It would be weird to not have jump jets. Yeah. It was, it's basically, uh, I always thought maybe they have like special cool, like it's like, it's maybe it maneuvers better in the air. I mean, it is one of those mechs that has, and I don't think we see this in any of the books. So I'll talk about it briefly without, I think, Aaron disagreeing too much to or to to little of aaron's dismay (laughs) it's one of the mechs that has a land air mech a lamb conversion where it can there are rare versions of the phoenix hawk that can can transform unlike of course transformers that uh where it can be converted to an aerospace fighter and or back they're they're considered lost tech i think at this time if they show up somewhere it's probably in some like museum because they weren't ever really any good (laughs) so phoenix hawk explodes right flames everywhere there's like now there's like a big fire burning grayson just he's still his heat levels you know he's sweating he keeps trying to hit the marauder through the flames and then shockingly the combine mechs begin retreating after the Phoenix Hawk goes off, like they like gather themselves and he begins to like Kevlavik pulls back. He pulls back. From Grayson's point of view, it's unclear if Kevlavik is retreating or just regathering. But I think Grayson says something to the effect of, I don't care. Let's get the hell out of here. Yeah. And then the this little section ends. There's this, this, this sentence. Harriman Olsen had been only 15 standard years old. And Grayson's personal responsibility. Worse, Grayson had liked him. So sad. It's the business Grayson's in, though. It's unfortunate. It's the rippled effects of working with not heavily trained mech pilots that might also be stuck in aggro mechs that decide shooting machine guns at the mechs in bad position. At a 75-ton Marauder. Yeah. Yeah. And Grayson tried, but there's going to be losses in these fights. 
And unfortunately, Grayson has been tallying up losses in these last two chapters. It's very sad. And then, of course, no chapter would be complete without our favorite. We cut back to Nagumo's office. (laughs) How many times have I said we cut back to Nagumo's office? I think we're at four. (laughs) We've been here before. We know the score. Okay. Nagumo's chewing Kevlavik out for being a loser. (laughs) He even even opens it up to your point here where he goes, Kevlavik, this is getting to be a habit with you. (laughs) Yeah, it is. I like that Nagomu has just thrown out the like, I'm going to kill you a bit because that was clearly (laughs) a lie. Yes. Now, he throws a little plot twist. Kevlavik shocks him by formally requesting a court-martial. But he actually makes a decent case here. I thought about why retreat was the most uh, reasonable option. You know, he, he, he argues that he, di- he didn't have enough information to continue pressing the attack. And Nagumo actually agrees with him. You know, what do you think, Brent? You, you know I would. <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, um, so, this is weird, right? Because... It seems like they just ran into him. They ran into Grayson's column and then they just attacked. So so it seems like it was like it was less of an ambush and more of like the Spider-Man meme, you know, and yeah, th- it was like an accident. And so because of that, it was really an ambush is supposed to be like plan in which you do is as much damage in a short amount of time as you possibly can, as we outlined earlier. So apparently this wasn't an ambush. It was really both people were like, oh, no, oh, no, what's going on? React, react, react. Like, counter, 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 and it led to Kevlavik deciding to break contact, as we've already stated. I agree with what they did. If they had, in their initial attack, they had managed to make more of an impact, it might have been worthwhile to press it, but I agree with everyone involved here that they probably made the best choice, given the mechs we know each side had and the little information either side had also before i handed the mic back over i just want to say uh give a nod to old kev he requests a court martial you know i like kev klavik even though he's the bad guy because he's like yeah i did what i thought was best for my men and uh, i'm ready to accept the consequences and i don't get the feeling if the roles are reversed, that Nagomu would be as honorable. So I just wanted to say that. Heck no. Now, now you heard it here first, folks. Man nominates a marauder for the mech of the book. And now, you know, our favorite war criminal becomes a, a respected man. <laughs> oh, oh, no. I Listen, I'm not. I, this isn't sympathy for the <laughs> devil here. I, well, I actually, the way I read this is... I saw this not so much as honor, but as self-preservation. I think you're right about that, too. I think this was something, because the way he lays it out, like, I request a court-martial, and Nagomu immediately is like, oh, excuse me? And he basically lays out, like, the reason I'd be court-martialed is from the lack of information from the higher-ups here. I was going based off of what limited information I was provided and had to make a call, as we could clearly see, the Met column was no longer heading to Fox Island, but broke off into the jungle. So we had the chance to rally against 
the rebellion force, but all the forces were still contained at Fox Island. And I felt like he kind of laid out this idea of like, if you court martial me, all this is going to be laid out in front of the Duke about how you've blundered all of this. And I felt like that kind of set this up to where Nagomu has to save that's face and oh, say, good point. like, oh, huh. no, we won't court martial you here. And I'm going to have to accept the consequence with you to save face. So that's the way I read it. I see what you're saying there. I, and don't get me wrong. I was ready to agree with you because I do think that on some level this is political, but I thought it was more political in the interpersonal base I see what you're saying, except that I don't know if our boy Recall, I don't even know if he would even serve a court-martial. He'd probably just be like, what happened? Yeah. Well, and uh, that's, you know, he's, I I saw it as more he's working in general military practice and not, uh, not the Red Duke's (laughs) way of doing things. You're right, of course. Court-martial, let's save time. Let's kill you here. You know? And yeah. Nagumo actually agrees with him, too. Well, he's like, you're right. Uh, if you had blundered into the jungle and gotten your whole lance killed, I probably would have had you shot. Court martial denied, or whatever. We also learn they took a lot of prisoners. These, and those prisoners are currently being interrogated by our beloved Dr. Vlade. He's their psychological uh, warfare uh, guy, right? Their psyop guy. The, uh, the guy we saw. Yeah. He was the one who was torturing Sue Ellen. Or not torture. He was the one who was right. consulting. He tried to... Tor- yeah, you remember. And then Nagumo then pontificates the possibility of the rebel dropship surviving. He's like talking to Kevlavik. He floats this whole theory that the uh, surviving rebel force would be seeking like the ship's facilities now that their base has been destroyed. He's like, you know, their dropship, we, we had reports of debris... We never actually found the dropship. He tells Kevlava, he's like, he, he reaches the conclusion that even if the dropship survived, the rebels would now be so low on uh, critical personnel that they'd be on the back foot, no matter what. Especially now that the combine control of the major settlements and facilities. Just, I think I was like, well, I mean, he's right though. Like, that's what's funny. N- like, Nagumo has like, in his gut, he's like, I bet they still have access to that dropship. Yeah. I bet they're hiding it somewhere. And he is right. That is true. Uh, as we said before, this is at the end um, of the day why Nagumo is in the command uh, space here, because at every turn he has not underestimated Grayson. Even if if he's had incompetence elsewhere, he has, with pretty relative ease, kind of reverse engineered what Grayson is likely to be doing. And we see it again here. That's true. I do love the 4D chess le- le- level to this whole book where it's like we are going back to Nagumo. It's cool. We go back to the villain's office and he's like he's playing the game. And he you're right. He never under he's never underestimated him that whole time. He's very upset that uh he got away. He ends the chapter here. He seems supremely confident that the end is near. And then he says, oh, might have spoke too soon there. <laughs> yeah. By the time Duke Recall gets here, we'll either be able to report Verthandi secure, except for those bandits out in the wilderness, or we'll have met them on our ground and beaten them. Pure to hear first, guys. Grayson's dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, might not be dead yet. 
but he sure got a very steep hill to climb <laughs> to get back to where we were at the beginning of this episode. So some great shifts, some great follow through with Keith here about setting all of this up. Some, some small things that were set up with like singular lines in the first couple chapters he's gone through, remain things very consistent, but not afraid to keep things moving up and down. And yeah. I think that makes this more interesting when you're kind of thinking about like, you know, the scrappy Grayson fight here. It hasn't gotten just win, win, win. Oh, this is getting easier and easier till we beat them. It is, you know, up and down. And we've gotten to see Grayson really come into his own in this couple parts, the last couple episodes we've talked about. Yeah. He's a hero. And uh, that that's good. You know, we get to be rooting for their hero here. And we've had so much fun along the way with them. And we're not even near the end of his story. Despite Aaron's tinfoil hat, I am rooting for Grayson here. Well, next episode, you're going to be like, you know, maybe the Cretans <laughs> are the good guys in this. You know, <laughs> they have all the marauders. So... <laughs> <laughs> no, we all love Marauders here, but, you know, <laughs> it makes it hard here <laughs> to to support the Marauder. Maybe, maybe we'll get a cool Marauder pilot in the future. Maybe. <laughs> but we got a lot more things to talk about before then. Specifically, how are we going to get back to fighting a war without much to do it with? We'll find out those answers next week when we're back continuing on in Mercenary Star. This was Of Mechs and Men. I am Kanan Hill. I was joined as usual by my friends Brent and Aaron. If you'd like to have if you have any questions, corrections, concerns, or uh, you know, anything to share, please do not hesitate. Advice at heat.management. The email is advice at heat.management. And um as always, you know, we'd like to thank everyone. We'd like to thank uh, William H. Keith Jr., of course, the author, and all the authors, all the writers and uh, artists that work so hard to keep Battletech alive. Catalyst Game Labs for being, uh, you know, such generous stewards of the property. On social media, you can find us. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. At of Men, one word. And, uh, but yeah, I think that'll do it. As always, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. But yeah, I think that's everything. Um, we'll be back next week. You know, we'll be continuing Mercenary Star by William H. Keith Jr. You know, until then, thank you. And remember, kids, don't be part of the problem, be part of the solution. <laughs> Till next time.